You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to Line Noise, and today we're going to be doing something very different. We're going to be doing two episodes kind of interconnected. Uh, Subjective are a new drum and bass duo, well, they make all kinds of of music, uh, which comprises Goldie, an absolute legend of British music, and uh, James Davidson. Together they make up a subjective, and uh, we were going to talk to them both together. Um, And in the end, uh, when James could make it, Goldie couldn't. When Goldie could make it, James uh, couldn't. So we talked to them separately. So what we're going to do is we're going to have like a pair of of episodes, um, closely connected, parallel episodes, we should say. Firstly, we're going to be talking to James Davidson, who is um, a young drum and bass producer um, who worked with Goldie on The Journeyman and is now half of uh, Subjective. He's got his own um, catalogue as well. Um, And then in the next episode, we're going to be talking with Goldie himself. Um, Subjective's new album, The Start of No Regret, is a fiercely eclectic beast with everything from deep house to hip hop to... Uh, classic, classic jungle beats. It is brilliant and it was an absolute pleasure to catch up with both of them. I hope you enjoy these two special editions of Line Noise. And today is the second of our special Line Noises. We are going to be talking to the master, Goldie. I'm really enjoying the new album um, and I asked James a lot of things about it. It'd be interesting to get your your take and sort of, you know, see what both you're saying. I suppose the first thing I wanted to know about is um, James engineered uh, on your 2017 album, The Journeyman. When did uh-huh. you decide to go to actually form a duo with him, though? Well, because it was, a very, well, it was an easy decision because he, he didn't question anything from Journeyman. You see, what I, what I, I struggle with engineers that, 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 lack, that lack production levels or they, they just... It's the same thing I had it with Playford where they just they just get to this glass roof thing where they they can't it's a bit like it's a bit like great analogy is they it's when engineers that are really good engineers kind of somewhat in a lot of ways fail to finish a lot of their own compositions so they're very good engineers but they kind of lack vision and they and they find it very difficult when a, when an artist is you know, it's very it's a rarity in a sense. Nelly Hooper had it. You know, he had a guy called Mateus who did the Madonna album, the you know, the U2 album, you know, like he's got a great ear. And you could never mess with Nelly on that. You look at the Sinead O'Connor project. So I learned from I learned from looking Will O'Donovan, who went on to, you know, people for us to think about the bigger picture with me. Will O'Donovan, who was the T-boy at Mayfair Studios, and he was Howie Bernstein had brought me into that studio as an engineer working for Soul to Soul, as Nelly at the controls as a producer and Jazzy. So I kind of, I was burned, I used to burn the midnight oil with, with, with Howie while he was doing all of the kind of heavy lifting. And of course, I saw the same thing with Matthias, you know, who was doing the heavy lifting with, with Nelly. And I get all of that. But the one thing that, that, that struck, struck me in, the, in that environment, the same as Johnny Gosling, and, and, and Mark Rutherford, who worked at Real World in the back room of Crouch End, and people forget the connection. You know, Crouch End, William Orbit Studio, was where I made my first Dark Rider EP in the back of a programming suite in Crouch End. Um, because people didn't understand the difference between 
you know, programming suites back then were like pre-production for going into a bigger studio to dump it all down from an Akai onto two-inch tape. People forget that. And of course, when the culture, when, when my crossroads of culture with Jay, with Mark and Digo at Reinforced and Dolly's Hill, the pre-programming suite was the studio. It wasn't deemed as a pre-programming suite because he was like, we've got a computer, it's a key base, and we can make some fucking tunes. So my, 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 I guess my forte at that point by having vision was right. Okay. With reinforced being the university of Goldie was let's, let's record it to that. I know, I know what, what, what everything will work. Let's put it to that. And then take the DAT recording from the desk, and put it back onto the, the, the 16 track and put it back through it so we can free some channels and then we'll sweep them with the sweeps and we'll, we'll EQ and we'll put it back to that, record it and dump it down to that and put that on one channel. So it's three sounds into one. So my creative process leading up to this point of the question, what I want to answer, which I hope that you honor, um, because I think that it's always had the rough ride, this, the, the music side of this, is that with James, that, that unlike Playford and unlike some engineers, I always took engineers to a point where they just, they just stopped having the, they, they got to a glass roof. And conceptually, I think with me and Playford, it was specific. It was down to Dragonfly and it was pushing 14 minutes. And he, and he kept putting his hand over his ears with the percussion. He didn't understand it. Um, and, and, you know, you've got, with the greatest, you've got the greatest percussionist in the world, if not one of the best, Louis Jardine. I'm not sure you're musically inept, uh, you know, but, you know, Louis Jardine was a prolific percussionist. And Dragonfly, as, as a raconteur, probably one of the only raconteur tracks, you know, as far as the, the art of what the raconteur is, that is storytelling at its best. The story of a boy getting on a bike in the summer, riding over a field, coming to a stream, looking at dragonflies, falls into the summer sun, goes into a daydream, goes into the dragonfly, flies around, and gets really scared on this manic journey, like, you know, oh my God, I don't want this to stop, you know, like a bad trip, and then ends up waking up in the sun with daylight and the smell of grass, and he rides home. You know, I don't have to explain it to everybody, but but Playford didn't understand that side of, and as soon as I was like, we need to part the ways, this is not going to happen. And considering that, you know, obviously mother was, you know, was in, I undertook mother on my own then with two engineers, three engineers. I had, I had optical, I had, uh, I had Dillinger and optical programming and Mark Rutherford. I'm uh, sorry. And Mark Seyfritz actually, dog boy, Mark Seyfritz. Um, so it doesn't matter. You, you, you can, you can, I, I can fall out, be in love with, it doesn't matter. When it comes to, you know, what I call the Kubrick element of this music, when two actors break into the studio and the guy and the girl go into the, action! And they go into the scene of the room and the guy takes his shirt off and undresses the girl, starts kissing the girl, throws the girl down on the bed and Kubrick says, cut! And the guy gets up, his ego walks over to the director's Kubrick and he says, Okay, yeah, yeah, Kubrick, yeah, it's all right, yeah, good. He said, uh, when I came in, did, should, I, should I shut the door, or open it, or keep it closer, or shall I close it behind me before I kiss the girl? He goes, just kiss the fucking girl, leave the door to the fucking production scene, whether it's going to be open or fucking closed, just do the acting. And the same can be said is, uh, just allow me to steer the ship in the way that I want to do it. Because the vision comes from the 
years and years of what graffiti writers do by having vision, by standing next to a train in the cold dead of night, seeing something that's a two-dimensional drawing in grey with all of these colours that brown looks like red at three in the morning, and we're going to paint and scale this drawing from four foot away into a fucking 20-foot masterpiece. You tell me who's doing the art now. So I learned that through graffiti. I learned that through the layering. So to cut a long story short, it's a very good way of explaining it, but I hope that you honour that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. James understood um, the first track on Journeyman was Prism, a very difficult track to programme from a concept point of view. Number one, it's in 5-3 at the beginning, different time signature, switches back to 4-4 on the drop. You know, something that people are scared to do in DMB because it's forced to the floor, we're never going to be able to mix it. And, and there was a program that I had that no one had cracked. It was a program that I had that I can't really say, but he learned no one could automate it. Over the 15 years, I, was, I had this program around me. I always had hardware and software around me when it first came because of people getting it to me. And I'd make different engineers try it. Like, check this program out. Do you want to try and, oh, I can't manage it. I want to no. Okay, let's move on. Let's do something else then. So I was always sifting through engineers and their abilities to get to the canvas. James got that in, in, in droves. He was the only engineer and still continues to be um, a producer that understands the art of engineering. And, but what's it like being as, as a, a duo now? Because like presumably um, when he's engineering your stuff, you get the final say. And when you're in a duo, like... Doesn't matter, I still get the final fucking say. <laughs> I still get the final say. I, I, you know, I, look, let's not, let's not butter this up. I made him a partner because he's a Padua and he's, he's a Jedi. But Obi-Wan Kenobi will always get the final say, mate. Doesn't matter. I steer the ship and that's what, he, that's what I'm good at. Look, Mentoring is not just about showing up. It's about watching everything grow. You don't just sign up and then, you know, oh yeah, I'm cool. You continue. And I hear it rubbing off in his music when he does his own thing. I hear his arrangements change. He's, 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 you know, and that's what's important. You know, the, the fact that we, you know, he's part of Ruffy's crew now, he's probably, I think that's what excites him even more. I think, you know, you know, it's almost like, you know, the Sinbad when you get to the final boss level and then you've got to get the heart out of the nest. The roughest crew is in the nest and he's like, okay, we're subjective, but I want the roughest crew tablet. And he got it. You know, he's part of Rock's crew because, you know, going back through my old music and, and dats and stuff, he's finding all this stuff going, oh my God, these loops you created with Mel Gaynor. Oh my God, you've got stuff with, you know, with Trevor Murray that you recorded in France. And then you went to, so you recorded in Spain, sorry, that you recorded of all these drum sessions that were live with Bjork's drummer and, 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 and Mel Gaynor from Simple Minds. We can use this now because the technology has arrived where we can process it. So he's all about that. And I'm gladly giving him those great bottles of wine to delve into. And go, this is a 1991. Dolly Sill uh, vintage from me and Digo's session of Scratch Dat. It's brilliant. You know, and I never thought I'd get to that point where I could do that. And I think, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's a really, it, watching him become really powerful. Look, his power is, you know, programming and, and drum programming. And my strength is writing and, and, and vocals. And we cross over that. And I said, look, think of, a, think of a line for that. And 
Beats will always be me. I'll sing beats to people. I've been doing it for years. People go, what's that? What is that? So high low. Everything for me is finite. And being able to have that ability allows you to then draw it, to put it on a paper, to then create a legend and go, right, guys, this is what we're doing. And, and I think with, with James, he never questions the legend. And when I don't mean that like me, legend being the old speak for a diagram. He's like, yeah, cool. But what that does, he's like a graffiti writer. He has a legend that's in black and white. It's an outline. The colour comes from the fun. We have such fun with the colour. As in, you know, that's it. Because you said, I think, that this was the first time you'd ever have fun making music, which I thought was incredible. I'm like, I, I was listening to you. Your... Don't, don't, don't misquote me. I get it. I'm talking, there were great times. When you hear, you know, Timeless coming to, 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 to a closure and you hear Mother bring, believe me, they are heartwarming moments. They're not like all depressing, like, oh my God, let me get on the fucking needle. It's 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 a tough job making integral music with the velocity of what I go at. As in, in the, in this complexity of my compositions, it's no easy feat to to get to the art of simple complexity. Please quote that. My quote, no one else's. Is when you get to the point when you can leave the gravity of the planet, it becomes the art of simple complexity. How to make something really complex sound very simple. Beethoven did it really well. But, 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 in his, yeah, but go on. There's a question there. Oh, no, I was just going to ask, um, because you, you mentioned the old, the old dats. I was talking to, to James about that. And one of the things um, I really like about the new album is, for example, on Sunlight, there's a beat that isn't in a city life, but it's taken from the same sessions and using the same, um, the same effects, right? I love that kind of, how that, that connects back to your history. How did you feel about, about doing that? You don't strike well, me as being well, a nostalgic person particularly. No, because, 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 I mean, this is the other thing that people get so wrong. We have the ability to time travel. I get to, I get to travel, time travel, through all of my dats and stuff that I've, I've downloaded and dumped, like they are fine wines. And I can go into those dats and navigate through them like a time traveler. Go, let me, let me take a snatch of that that's got seven sounds in it. And I can place it in the right place. It can sound quite nostalgic. Where have I heard this before? You haven't. It's new. Lost is new. Yeah, it's new, but it's got something. It's got this blueprint in it. It's got the DNA in it. Why does that child look like you? Well, because it comes from my sperm. It's the DNA. A lot of people going around, oh my God, I'm not the baby father. You are the baby father. We own this culture. And to, and 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 one important thing with the culture. Um is that I knew we were making music for the future in the 90s with a handful of people. Because you can stand in the 90s and swivel 45 degrees and look at 1960 and get the Beatles, the Stones, Cream, Toots and Martels, the beginning of Motown, James Brown, and you can have that music, yeah, black and white. You can be in the 90s and swivel 45 degrees to 2020 and I can play music tonight for five hours. And people go, what the fuck is it you say to 25 years old? But it doesn't sound like the Beatles. It doesn't sound like Cream. It doesn't sound like Two to the Martels. It doesn't sound like James Brown. Because it was made in the future. But the difference with what I love about this music is that when it leaves the gravity of, of what we're talking about now, 
my analogy for, for, for subjective was, okay, so they just gave me an award in France for Saturn's return for mother when they were crucifying me in the press 20, 16 years, 17, 18 years ago. 23 years ago, okay. And then they're looking at Timeless winning two awards and it was up, it was up for Best Album with Jamaraquai, Mark the Mac, Destiny's Child and George Michael, but it took them 25 years. So, oh, they don't understand the wild style of it. So let's make bubble letters then. So let's do some really good bubble letters, namely subjective. Because now you're going to understand it without having to be root math. think people have kind of caught up with what you were doing then? I mean, one of the reasons... Um, I still don't think they have caught up, to be honest. <laughs> Do they understand it better, though, maybe? I think they understand it better because I'm giving it to them in bubble form. But I think they lack, I think a lot of people lack integrity because they're going for the format of what kids might... They might think that kids might like. You know, I'm still at the age where my kid... My kid is discovering Smokey Robinson and discovering Radiohead. I don't think they should be spoon-fed into a generic bullshit of what the industry became. Because a lot of people... What becomes the thing apparent to me is that the 90% of the industry all know it's shit, but won't admit it together. That's what it feels like to me. Now, if that's my opinion, I'm welcome to it. But when you've got that coupled with the idea of attention span and Spotify, narrowing down the margins of how we listen to music, what on one hand is the devil's claw, the velvet devil's claw, because on one hand, it can get you into music that you might not have heard so much because you don't have the hearsay socially anymore to go to the pub and say, have you heard that album? Yeah, what was it? Captain Beefheart, great album. You know, like the second one. Really? Over a point. You know, it's almost like the demographics changed. So, so have they played catch up? They, they may have caught up from a technological point of view of how we make the music, but I'm still hearing the machine turning. I want to hear the soul in the music. Sorry, I don't want to stop you here. But well, let's not get this wrong in your interview, Mr. Premira. People are lacking the one ingredient. How can we have so much technology available, so many cheap samplers, everything that we've got available at your fingertips for the bedroom producer, but yet we're not really doing, we're not really being that creative with it because we're all stuck on the presets. Where's the creativity gone? And the reason why Grime's successful as another one of the music of black origin in the train of, Rhythm and blues, jazz, soul, hip-hop, drum and bass culture. The reason why it's in that line, because he's speaking from the tongue. He's putting, at least he put, he's putting his heart into it. And I think a lot of music has become very generic on every genre. And I think we've all kind of stopped investing in what the next creative thing should be. We're too scared. We're playing it very safe. Next question. Well, I was interested you mentioned Radiohead because um, you were talking about the influences on the new album, The Start of No Regret, and you said it was influenced by rave culture, jungle, drum and bass, which I could definitely hear, and indie influences as well, which um, I don't necessarily associate what you do with indie music. Are you a big, are you a big fan? How does that come across I've in the new record? I've always I've always thought that, that, that my wife, wife cursed me for this, but I say it wrong. <laughs> From York. Um... I always thought he was a bit of a fucking alien, to be honest. And of course, it was the same era. You know, OK Computer was probably the first electronic rock album as far as it didn't sound like a rock album. It sounded like an electronic, new age rock album. In the same way that Matheny was new age jazz. 
Um, and I've always loved what Johnny Greenway has done, done. I think he's a fucking genius. Um, you know, and even with the stuff that me and James have done under the Fallen Tree subjective moniker, the soundtrack for Cine Temple, the TV series, there's a lot. Of, I mean, we've got everything, everything on there, which is prolific, wicked indie track, because it's our take on it. It's our revolver, if you like, um, from the Beatles, which is a massive track. I thought Revolver was a really underrated album. Um, but I felt Radiohead was a massive influence for me. And people, you don't have to just be sampling something for it to influence you. You have to look at musical archetypes, how the archetype could be incomplete but influence you. Like a great example would be Two of X Moi of Journeyman. And here's a, a challenge for you if you even give a fuck. Go and listen to Off Ramp, Pat Metheny. Are you going with me? Because it's a remake of the said track. They're both nine minutes. And I've made a total inversion of past music. How it should be done, in my own view. And, it's, and, and, and I love that, that Pat Metheny turned around, my hero, and said, the greatest take on his music he's ever heard. Thank you, Pat. Talking about rock, I was interested because obviously you did Temper Temper with Noel Gallagher. It had lots of guitars on it and David Bowie made an album influenced by drum and bass. <laughs> yeah. were, were you ever like surprised that there wasn't more of a crossover between the two? Yeah, I was speaking to Slipknot at the time, the producer of Slipknot. And Henry Rollins was a massive fan. He was into drum and bass because he loved, he loved the disturbing, how much of a disturbers we were. And Henry was great. And I just think the record companies were so big then, they still didn't get it. You know, it's like, I felt that there would, have been a, there would have been a great crossover. You know, the idea of even Hit Factory and KRS-One was way ahead of the curve on Saturn's Return. The KRS-One track, you know, which was him spitting on a, on a 155 BPM drum and bass track, which is a really integral from a bass track at that. I felt that it was it was way too, it was just ahead of the curve. It was just a little bit too ahead of the curve. And I felt that, you know, it's really weird that in the in the latter, I get so many messages from people that go, that record changed it for me, but yet it wasn't mainstream at the time. In the same way that the album changed it for them, but it wasn't the thing at the time. Um, and I felt that I felt that. The, 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 the want, it wasn't like, you know, that's that typical thing where it became, this wasn't Texas and fucking and, and Method Man. <laughs> you know, yeah. do you remember that track? I do, yeah. I thought it was quite good, that track. I quite like it. Yeah. But from, but from where we come from, it wasn't us. Yeah. It wasn't integral for us. Um, and and, and, and that's, that's, there's a very big, there's a fine line to that. But each to their own. Right, it crossed over in that way, but it wasn't integral for us, and and we we kind of gathered that. But those tracks that are integral, they're very difficult to move around for people to acknowledge them and respect them until years later. Um, I was surprised that there wasn't more in the in the crossover, um, but I but I also think that each generation does it in their own way. You know, Pendulum did that crossover; they made it work. Because the genre itself had many branches from drum and bass culture. Jungle, drum and bass culture. Jazz over here with Danny Bookham. And a bit of Lonnie, and a, you know, a little bit of Ronnie Size and a bit of Lonnie Liston Smith sampling here over there with his Herbie Hancock samples. 
you know, and then you got Goldie here with his, you know, his, his kind of influence and his crater. But then you got over your optical and his wormhole and Doc Scott with his dog, you know. So the so the branches <clears throat> probably in Virgil Abloh's words, the most procreative genre of music we've ever experienced in subculture. Really, when you think about it. an American it was it was fascinated by culture. One of the most powerful cultures, drum based music. Why do you think that was the drum and bass did go with so it does go with so many different things, you know, from from really light, tuneful jazz to sort of, you know, pendulum, Ed Russian optical, really, really heavy things? It's not rocket science, because he, because it's like a quote that I have, which is my quote, mine alone, probably in my tombstone. A truthful idea will last in the honesty of time. Because if, 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 if we have been time traveling through technology only being around for 100 years, let's face it, recordable audio has only been here for 110. Weird, isn't it? How long has the public been here again? We've only had recordable audio. Think about that. 100 years. 110. Yeah. Recordable audio. So when we start making samplers and, and, and having all this equipment through the various genres, let's say, synthesizers Detroit, and then ex- exposed... Ex- then, then taken to Japan because of the technology and Sony and Roland and all this. Okay. And then you add, there's Akai, MPC, yeah, drum machines, AOAs, 909s. And then you add Akai. And then you add S3000s. And then you add software. So each time the genres have moved forward through music of black origin, it's progressed technologically and socially. And that's what, and that's why. Because, because going back to the truthful idea, we're following a lineage from Warnock, Atkins, from, you know, from Detroit music. It was exposed to the Detroit music, went from Japan and passed back to Germany. So even the Germans think that Techno was born in, in Berlin, and he wasn't. He was born in the slums of Detroit. So if you know your history, in a world where we're so connected and very little people know very much about their own culture, all I'm doing is following a, a lineage of culture. So, so, so the idea of of why, why is that is very simple to me. Because where Pendulum came into it, their lineage in Australia was rock. So they put their, their take on it from a genre which they love, which is brilliant. You know, and, and I think that's what's so good about it and, and confusing to the masses in a sense that, you know, it, it's it's such a powerful genre of music that, that, that as, you know, when the record companies get stuck for a remix, where do they come to? They don't go to the grind boys, do they? They go to the drum and bass lot or Shy Effects or they want to get a Goldie remix and Jesse Ware and want to get... Because what else, what other music can you do that's going to make a mix of it? It's going to be... It's going to get the kids jumping up and down. I wanted to ask something about about James as well. I asked him the same thing about you. Um, but what is your favourite of his of his music? Is there like one track that that you recommend? Oh God! I think he said "Sea of Tears" for you. Yeah, weirdly enough, I played it as my last tune. I haven't played it for years at a club ever. And a girl had requested it on the shoulder of her boyfriend. I think her mum had died or something, and she was special to it. I thought, well, you know what? I would have played it. And yeah, he, why not? It went off. Went off. Um, you know, you're talking about a track that was least favourite on people going, no, man, even disgruntled drum and bass. Going, no, man, this track, no, man, it's too, too cool, too musical. 
What? You can't be too musical these days? Um, for James, I don't know. I, I think Elef- the elephant tune he made, I think was a special, I'm like, wow. It showed, the elephant tune that he made showed me that he could, he could be outside of the box. Really did. And then, of course, you know, that led to Ballad Celeste. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Because you have the ability to, because I've always done, people forget that every album project I've ever done, I've always slipped a ballad in there. <laughs> people forget that. I'm like, get one in there, Gold. No one's going to notice. You know, don't give in, believe. You know what I mean? I've always slipped one in there, always. Um, and, I, and, I, and I thought, fucking hell, this is going to be fun. Jesus Christ, we could actually be the cat amongst the pigeons with this project. I mean, that's what the album was going to be called in the beginning. It was going to be called The Art of Simple Complexity, but a little bit long. And I thought, the start of no regret. Kind of same thing, but we kept it at that. Because um, I said it in a vocal, purely by accident, as I always do. I have these beautiful accidents. And I said, set the mic up. I don't know if you told you about the recording process with you. And I said the mic up, and I just did this vocal. It came to me on this piece of music. And I said, the start of no regret. He went, that's a great name for the album. Let's do it then. Um, I'm a great believer in deja vu and serendipity and how the spirit is with the music. And one of the things with James, I'll, 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 I'll always ask him, when I hear a bit of music and we start putting something together, I'm like, well, set the mic up, right, there's something here. And when I lay down, nine times out of ten, it's always going to be the vocal. Can't get away from it. It haunts me sometimes. I wanted to yeah. ask, actually, how you how you keep inspired making music after after 30... 30-something years? I don't know. I still blame Kate Bush and fucking, you know, Wuthering Heights and, and buying seven-inch records and Ian Jury and the blockers. Squeeze, pink vinyl. Public Image Limited, like a newspaper fold-out. Steel Pulse. UB40 King. You know, I'm like the fucking idiot savant of fucking growing up listening to the Stranglers. Ratchet Norvikas. I know every word of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Arts Club band. You know, I, I, the only thing I ever had was music. The only, the only waypoints in my life of direction was music. I can't tell you timelines, but I can tell you that record. Yeah, I was a new, I was human league, crowed a baby, had an affair. Yeah, you know, I, you know, like, like, you know, that Dare album, Human League. You know what I mean? Now, all of, all of these things were part of my growing up with forty lock, well, twenty-seven lockers or thirty lockers in a children's home but you all get 15 minutes on a Saturday morning and a Sunday when everyone's gone home on a Friday and everyone that's left gets 15 minutes on the fucking on the gramophone to play records that you went and bought from Ruby Reds or your record shop. You know, SOS band. You know, all of these, all, well, before that, but all these albums that came out, when even when even Lisa Stansfield came out, you know, and Prince and all these things that, that really stuck, stuck in my head. Papa's got a brand new pig bag, you know, like music's, I don't know, you know, for me, I used to work at a garage on a Saturday morning in Willanall. Never forget it. And a guy called Andrew Ridgely was the was the kid who used to sweep the floor and do all the car stuff. You know, and help and spray spray cars in his overalls. Well, Richard Darby owned it, and I used to pump petrol on a Saturday morning and sweep the drive. And when Richard would go away for holiday, me and Andy would play. But Andy introduced me to the Stranglers, and and we and we sit there. And I remember one week, I think Richard went to Spain. Instead of instead of buying a guitar, which was saving up the money, like buying an acoustic guitar, I fucking wanted to make one. And I built a fake electric guitar using welding rod for the struts. And me and Andy, but we built two guitars 
and we mimed the Stranglers album in the lunch breaks. And 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 the thing that appears appeals to me years later in in, in, in rhetorical in the kind of rhetorical answer to that is why does I fucking make one? <laughs> oh well, guess I was always going to be an artist. I was always going to make things with my hands as opposed to buying a guitar because I didn't have the confidence to play. I remember picking up a guitar playing. She loves me, yeah, yeah, in the in, in the with Beatles in a playroom. It was called the quiet room. And this kid, this one of the staff came in and says, "That's really, that's not good." You know, she's putting down. You're not good. Let this person play. He's better. Or some girl. And I just lost all confidence. Having the confidence beaten out of you in a children's arm that you were not not good enough. But the one thing I knew I was good at was fucking art. So that led me to the music in another way, the art of the music, and and seeing players play. Being able to photograph them. That's the important thing. I don't know how fucking good you're going to do this interview. I hope you do your fucking job. Because a lot of people don't. They can't be bothered these days. But I like photographing time. Because when you say to, like, I was saying to Noel when he was doing Temper Temper, I said to Playford, make sure he's fucking recording when he's not recording. So, so you, you know, that's, it's a must for me. When he's warming up, you're like, no, 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 I must fucking record. And he forgot to record. And I fucking went ballistic. And that was the beginning of the cracks. So when he was recording his track, it was fine. But I say to him, when you catch players recording, I say, play that again. They go, play what again? When you say to a singer, sing that again. And they go, sing what again? Uh, and they don't. Because you've got to catch them, because you're capturing them in a moment. It's like watching flames. They're never going to be the same again. So you've just got to be able to photograph so you can place it in the right place. And then, and then you can go through it and get the best out of it. It's like filming, action. Keep the fucking door late. You know what I mean? That's what you've got to do. Look, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I just want to ask one more thing, if I can. Um, I'll keep it short. That, that mess, that one, what that really means is, can you keep this answer short? <laughs> it's, which song from the new album should we play out with and why? I think Lost. And why? Because it's, because it's, it's breakbeat loops and samples that we've had for so long reinvention is everything and it can um and it's just and it's new and it's nostalgic and it just shows the power of writing lost it, I love it. it's a beautiful track you're listening to radio primavera sound Proudly presented by Cupra.